Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, January 29. Concentrate on your present commitments. Don't dwell regretfully on past failures. Your life will keep on improving if, at this very moment, you do your very best. When I was just not quite 19 was when I was first introduced to the teachings of self-realization. I had, I had met some, a new group of friends and they were very interested in the spiritual path. I didn't know that I was looking for the spiritual path, but as soon as I got engaged with them, I found out it was exactly what I was looking for. It was, it was God's perfect timing. And they were studying um, the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna. Ramakrishna was an avatar who lived in India in the 1800s. He died just before Yogananda was born. And they actually were in the same part of India in Bengal near the city of Calcutta. And uh, Ramakrishna is highly regarded as a, a, a great spiritual figure. His primary disciple, his best known disciple, was Aswami Vivekananda. Vivekananda came to America at the turn of the century, around 19, the, the early 1900s. He was in America. And he wrote a number of books, or his, his talks in English were transcribed. And so in, uh, let's see, would have been, it would have been like June of 1966, um, one of Vivekananda's books was put into my hands. And it was the first that I was introduced to the teachings of the East. It is self-evident, even in that moment, and certainly in retrospect, that Essentially, I was, I'm an Indian soul, if you could say such a thing, a soul from India. My spirit is very much in tune with India, but I was born in the West for obvious reasons because I have this work to do. But when that book was put into my hands and I read even a little bit of it, it was like for the first time in my life, I was reading something that I really wanted to know. And I, I knew that I was in the presence, not just of knowledge, but of wisdom. At that point, I had, I had actually technically flunked out of Stanford University um, because I hadn't finished. I just had lost interest. I got A's and F's. I did one year at Stanford. And when I went to class and paid attention, I could do the work at the top of the class. Then I would simply lose interest and I would stop going to class and then I would get an F. And the thing balanced out to that I was just under <laughs> passing and... My recollection is that I actually wrote some kind of a paper that summer, so I was technically reinstated, but I never went back. But I was profoundly and deeply uh, concerned about the rest of my life because Stanford was and is this extraordinarily prestigious university. It wasn't such a miracle to be admitted then as it was now, but is now, but still, it meant something. And I thought I would meet wise people when I went there. And the reason that I didn't go to their classes is because they were intelligent, they were knowledgeable, they were well-informed in their field, they had a lot to teach me, but they were not wise. 
and I got to know enough of my teachers personally to see that they didn't know anything more about happiness than I did. And that was exceedingly distressing to me. So when I was handed Vivekananda's book, I just, this man knows. He knows where suffering comes from. He knows where happiness comes from. Which seemed to me the only piece of information that we all wanted, but I was nearly solitary in my quest for it. Except now I had this small coterie of friends. So there were three things in Vivekananda's book that were, um, that just, in, in were neon lights for me. One of them was, don't think about yourself and you'll be happy. I knew that was true, but it was like, what else would I think about <laughs> except myself? I wasn't selfish, but I was always self-concerned. I was always calculating my own position and trying to think how I could have more fun. And I didn't try to have more fun at the expense of others. Fun for me was often being generous and being helpful and, you know, being happy, doing happy things with people. So I wasn't selfish. I was actually quite uh, giving in my spirit. But I always knew where I stood. And I was always paying attention to see if a happier, more fun alternative was going to come to me. And then I would sail off with it. I never lost track of myself. So it was a fascinating idea to stop thinking about myself. I didn't know about prayer or japa or chanting or any of those things. So it was, a, it was a bit of a stretch. So I'll put that one aside. That's not the main one, but it was interesting. The other one was, and it turns out this was from St. Paul in the Bible, but I didn't know that for many years. Vivekananda said, um, perfect love casts out all fear. And I had already figured out that fear was the, the awful thing in life. But I didn't understand that love was the antidote to it, that, that love would cancel it out, that if you love something, you can't simultaneously fear it. Perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. So that was just like, that was the question I had been asking, is what to do about fear. And when, when I was told that love was the answer, I couldn't by any means just say, oh, well, that solves it. But it was, it was wisdom. I'd been given wisdom, and I knew it. And of course, I've spent the rest of my life up until this minute trying to work that one out. I mean, meaning, try to live up to that. Because saying it is nothing. Casting out fear with perfect love um, is, is a, a lifetimes of effort. And then the third one, which is relevant here, was the law of karma, but they didn't call it the law of karma. Vivekananda didn't. He said... What you are today is the result of what you did yesterday. And what, will you, what you will be tomorrow is the result of what you're doing today. And there it was. Once again, this was wisdom. How do I make my life better? How do I escape from those aspects of my life that are not pleasing to me? How do I create a future that I really want to live in? And he was telling me about karma he was telling me about cause and effect in human life. Now, it, it gets a little more subtle than that. But the fundamental premise that I'm, I am creating my own reality with my thoughts and actions today. And whatever I'm experiencing today is because of the reality I created with my thoughts and actions yesterday. And whether that yesterday was Tuesday before Wednesday, or whether that was an incarnation in Egypt you know, a thousand years before I became Asha in America, still, it was yesterday. 
And it, it had all accumulated, all that cause and effect had accumulated, so that now this is what I'm experiencing. And whatever I wish to see in the future, I need to begin it now because it will start accumulating and that's what it'll be. And that, of all of the three statements, all of which were totally life-altering, that was the most important one because it was active. Perfect love casts out fear. I had to learn a lot about what I was really afraid of and where could I find that kind of love. And, you know, that that's about attunement to God and recognizing myself as a channel and learning how to attune and learning how to overcome my inclinations. There was a whole lot involved there. <clears throat> but today is yesterday and tomorrow is today was just pretty straightforward. What am I thinking? What am I doing? What am I expecting? What am I studying? What am I building? And this is what Swami says here. Commitment, concentrate on your present commitments. Don't dwell regretfully on your past failures. Because, all right, I failed. And here I am, I'm sitting in the fact that I failed. So what do I want tomorrow to be? Well, I certainly don't want it to be a repetition of yesterday because this is not a pleasant place to be. And if my thought form all day is regret, 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 gosh, I wonder what tomorrow will be. I mean, like, how hard is this to figure out? It's just going to be a huge pile of whatever I did today. And, and this is why he said, concentrate on your present commitments. Whatever it is in front of you to do, give our very best energy to it. Now, we're not going to be able to just banish all concern about the past. So it's not a question of, there's no magic pill here. There's no just like, oh, it doesn't exist anymore. But if I want a better future, I need to put out the good energy now. Just as simple as that. And what's so fascinating also about these principles which Swami's talking about, which is we are not alone and independent in this universe. Because our physical bodies are unique and because the material plane gives us the appearance of separateness from one another, that my body is separate from yours and your destiny seems separate from mine, we have this idea that everything that happens in this world is my effort and my doing like this. But it isn't true. We are... We are an integral part of, it, a, of, 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 of all that is. Swami Kriyananda wrote The Festival of Light and, and several places in this, in this poetic ritual that is part of our Sunday, Sunday morning celebration is that you are a part of all that is. We are all part of this greater reality. And these, the, the, the wave of energy that is life itself, is, is, there's a movement and we can either flow with that current or we can always be swimming trying to escape from it or or swim in the opposite direction and the direction of that current is toward freedom and bliss this is this is the nature of reality a friend of mine who was a student of mathematics and then became a student of self-realization was talking to me about how he stopped being an atheist because he'd been an atheist for a great deal of his life but then he became very interested in math. 
or rather he grew old enough to really study math on a more and more subtle level. I have no understanding of it, so I took his word for it. He might have even been a Stanford student now that I think about it, but he was a he was at a, a high-level university studying mathematics. And he told me that part of the way you can tell whether the solution you have come up with for a mathematical problem, part of the way you can tell whether you have the right solution, and the phrase he used was, if it's harmonious, elegant, and beautiful. Now this is how a mathematician thinks because the whole universe is this beautiful pattern. And he said, and if the answer that you came up with was not harmonious, elegant, and beautiful, he said, you hadn't actually solved the equation. Because the universe always comes together in a, in a perfect way. This is how he put it to me. So in the middle somewhere of his mathematical studies, he realized that atheism was not harmonious, elegant, or beautiful. And it occurred to him that therefore it was probably the wrong answer to the equation. And that there had to be a harmonious and beautiful solution to life itself, or else it was the wrong answer. So there is this power, this constant power, which is, which is poetically, you, you think it's the ocean calling the drop back to itself. You know, in, in the physical material world, all water flows toward the sea. You know, as soon as a, a drop of water comes up from the spring, it tries to make its way back to the ocean. That's sort of what it does. And if it gets evaporated by the sun on the way, then it will get either deposited as rain directly into the ocean or it will get deposited back into a river and then it will have another chance to get to the ocean because that's who we are, that's what we do. And when we begin to understand fundamental principles of how life is constructed, like perfect love casts out all fear, then all of a sudden we're swimming with the actual current of life. So even though we don't even really understand how this is all going to work together, it's because when we're holding ourselves separated and isolated, there is no answer to an equation that's based on the fact that I'm separated and isolated. But even when I begin to consider that I am part of a greater reality, I'm part of all that is, then when we even strive, you know, diligently to put aside past regrets and to live in the moment according to our ideals, we find that it's not just our own energy and commitment that's moving us. But all of a sudden, literally, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, when you swim with the current in a river, all of a sudden you're such a strong swimmer and you can really move. And that's exactly what happens to it, to us. We call it the grace of God, but you can call it anything you want because you feel it. It's the wind. It's the wind blowing you to your destination so that every effort that you put out is magnified by that divine truth which is also moving you. So Swamiji says, Concentrate on your present commitments. Don't dwell regretfully on past failures. Your life will keep on improving if, at this very moment, you do your very best. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. 
blessings, and thank you.